Welcome to Bounty Hunters Guild, a Mandalorian podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Uh, well, fuck. Uh, I, I wasn't quite ready, but here we are. Um, uh, Disney Plus has launched. We are all slaves to the mouse. Uh, and, and yeah, we're going to we're gonna do a little Mandalorian podcast, uh, talk about some of the... Uh, aspects of the series we like talk about some other star wars things i'm sure and uh right up front i think you're probably a bigger fan of star wars in general than i am uh i'm a little more critical i think that's that's probably good that we're not on the same level because otherwise it would just be like the same as a lot of other podcasts i'm sure gonna be out there um we're not exactly like a youtube review either so it won't be a very polished uh press screener type of a review um so yeah let's fuck it up yeah let's fuck shit up um so yeah and i i think that's actually the dichotomy that's going to work for this podcast versus some other shows because uh, what i enjoyed I, I think what this show is is at least what it appears to be going towards is a really good balance between um just really well-made cinema uh, like uh, cinematic storytelling and also nods and winks to the lore and the bigger universe of Star Wars. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm here for both of those things. But you, I think, were, when we talked about it, you're like, eh, I'm, you know, I'm not so much on the fan, ser- for the fan service aspect of it. I just want to see them make <clears throat> a kick-ass fucking space western. Um, so I think that the the, the kind of, uh, not opposing, but dual, dual, uh, you know, things that we're, we're looking for in the series will be a good, good way to talk about each episode because I think that's, you know, an idea of, of of Favreau's is to kind of, you know, balance those two worlds. Uh, and I think, you know, the first episode at least I think did a really good job of that. So let's, um, let's get into it because there's, there's a couple things, uh, specifically I definitely want to touch on. We'll go through kind of the big beats of the episode and we'll talk about our our thoughts on that um sure but you know overall before before we start um i don't know about you but to me the cinematography really stood out on this um on this show like that's what's going to set it apart from you know your standard uh star wars fair your solo or your, you know other things that were fun enough but like didn't you know really have that auteur's uh eye towards it like to to me that was something that they really you know took great pains to to differentiate themselves with and i think we we talked previously about how the um the dp from uh rogue one actually was shooting the the mandalorian series as well so that i think really was evident in the way that they shot this because it did not look like your typical star wars you know feature no, and, and I like that a lot. I like when a director will have, uh, you know, great art direction to shoot and then still puts a narrow depth of field so you don't see half of it, right? Yeah. And, and, but, but you know it's there. You know it's, you know it's there. And you'll see it in some shots but not others. Whereas like the prequels, every single detail in the foreground and the background is in sharp focus at all times. And it's nauseating to look at. And it all looks really fake. <laughs> it looks very fake. Right. And, and very much not the case. I felt like Rogue One was like the, really the, my favorite Star Wars film was it felt like the only one really, uh, that was for grownups, you know, and, and we all watched the original series, not realizing it was targeted for young adults and, you know, to be sort of <laughs> overlooked a lot of the cornier elements that were always part of the original trilogy. Yeah. 
To be fair, the Last Jedi was 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 made to make uh, grown up fanboys cry. So I don't know. <laughs> that was definitely also for grown ups, but in a different. And I and I, you know, we we've done a review of the Last Jedi, and I actually really love the Last Jedi. I, I I ride pretty hard for that movie, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's certainly, uh, yeah, I love Rogue One as well, and I think it certainly stands out from the other Star Wars movies uh, aesthetically, and you know, in in the level of of kind of violence that it'll portray inside of the star Wars universe. And I think that so far the Mandalorian has done a really good job of trying to not so much match that because obviously rogue one was like a a vicious, like war movie or, you know, battle movie at the very least, um, where a lot of people get fucking killed. Um, but I, you know, Mandalorian seems to not be pulling any punches. I mean, our, our titular character, the Mandalorian who as of yet is unnamed, although he, (laughs) fucking pedro man pedro pascal you know the viper oberon uh gotta love him uh accidentally let slip in an interview for on the press junket what his real name is um but we won't be spoiling it on the show you know i'm sure it'll come organically in time um and it's nothing special so i could it's it's way better just call him the mandalorian (laughs) um so just to speak to that it's very obvious they're going for more of a western in space rather than a, a you know an opera in space right exactly um but of course there's you know like i don't want there to be any kind of backstory to the character or you know have as little as possible of course they won't do that because it's disney um but i think other characters like i i want to i want to learn more of the backstory and see the universe get bigger not just recycle the same things and i think the you know sort of the ending that we'll get to in a bit here uh is where everyone's going to have speculation and that's where i want to see the world get bigger and have more backstory i don't want it with the main character i very much want it to be the man with no name from the uh you know sergio leone spaghetti westerns with clint eastwood where there's like you don't know anything about this person's past and you never learn it except for just brief little flashbacks of his of his childhood but i and i, and I agree with that to a certain extent which, which I, I already was, didn't like that i already didn't like that i was already yeah. too far at that point well so like, like well you know well let's talk about it when we get to that scene but i yeah i i actually i kind of enjoyed that but we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there so let's let's get into the episode um so the opening scene uh we get uh is inside of a cantina uh not the uh not the most sizely cantina as far as we can tell but uh, just a generic cantina. Um, and that, and that's one thing I should also briefly mention up top. The show does not do a lot of, um, <clears throat> you know, like uh, title screens or like, Oh, we're on, you know, we're on Coruscant. We're on tattooing. We're on, it's really not big on, on like, this is where we're going to this place that like, and I kind of almost like that because it does kind of add to that, that, that Western feel of like, well, this could be literally anywhere, any desert planet, you know, right. with a cantina. Um, and I'm sure eventually we're going to, yeah, it doesn't even matter. It's like the, the, here's, here's snow and there it's warm. And now it's, it's like, we, we've seen every environment that exists on earth. And apparently in this universe, everywhere on every planet is always is the same always, fucking climate. Uh, right. <laughs> the entirety of the planet. Uh, I but yeah. I, w- one thing I noticed about this cantina though, it, it, did you notice the bar was just like regular plank wood? You can see the wood grain. I guess maybe the first time I've seen anything built out of wood planks. I mean, when there was like not the metal or yeah, uh, yeah, like you've seen like the like the whole hollowed out tree. You know, this Jedi tree, right? That's wood, right? But that's just you know dead tree. And then you see like the Ewoks have just logs that they've built their their tree city out of. But I'd never seen like planked lumber before that cantina in the Mandalorian in the entire world of of Star Wars before. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't even pick up on that. No, but yeah, check it out. It'll stand out to you as, as a, a, a yeah. Now I'll not be. I won't be able to not see that now. <laughs> right. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, we open on a cantina, and uh, these 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 kind of like thug uh, guys look like they're you know just in a gang or beating up on this uh, blue alien uh, who is played by Horatio Sands of SNL sort of fame, um, and uh, you know they. It, it's it's just you know to establish these guys as dickheads and uh we see the uh mandalorian walk in and he's uh you know he sees it and he doesn't do anything to stop it uh which you know the the show immediately takes efforts to be like look this is not like your typical you know like uh, white hat good guy he's not gonna step in and right any kind of wrong like he's just he's a bounty hunter he's a you know he's a mercenary you know he does have uh heart and he does have some good tendencies to him but he's not like just he's not a lawman he's not gonna go around fucking you know breaking up fights but now uh the, the you know the dickhead leader of this gang can't let it go that his drink got knocked over when the door you know opened and the wind rushed in it, or whatever, it didn't so. though he knocked it over it didn't before even that door, door opened okay so he just wanted to fuck with this guy because he thought like oh yeah i'll take or this he was too dumb to notice and he actually thought it was yeah this, this is one of these things that doesn't make any sense because if this guy's a tough guy he would know who to fuck with and who not to fuck with like he would have been, or he just has not, an overinflated you know. opinion of himself, you know. Like he thinks yeah, oh, I can take this he, fucking Mandalorian, you know. Clearly, this is a world where you can kill anyone you want to if provoked, and there's no consequences. <laughs> a guy like that's not going to live very, very long. Um, but very much like the original Cantina scene, the first, you know, New Hope. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Same. Nobody, nobody intervenes in anyone's conflict. <laughs> you can just cut someone's fucking arm off, <laughs> slice them in half with a fucking door. Like this, just it's like they. You fuck yeah. with him first. Well, so and then then they immediately establish Mandalorian as as like a badass because he you know takes down like four or five goons, uh, including as you mentioned one guy that tries to run out the door. He hooks him with his little you know wrap around uh, grappling hook wire that that we've seen Boba Fett use on Luke. Uh, so I guess that's a standard Mandalorian uh, tech, and he wraps him around, pulls the guy back in, and then fucking closes him uh, and cuts him in half with the. Uh, the closing door, which was, which was pretty gruesome, pretty awesome. Uh, it, you'd think so, that'd be like an OSHA problem right there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. It seems, seems like that should maybe have like a sensor to be like, Oh, there's a person here. Don't close. But you know, I, I like, I slammed um, my fingers in a door before, but you know, if the door was made out of like a serrated aperture that could take <laughs> off my entire hand, I might, you know, say, you know, that's a kind of a shitty design. Yeah, we don't have nearly as good technology as they have in Star Wars, and our elevators won't fucking close on you if you're standing in their way. So I don't know, maybe maybe a design flaw in those doors, but um, just you know. But so yeah, that's so that's uh, you know, and obviously this is classic Western trope. You know, the gunslinger walking into the bar trying to mind his own business, and some goon trying to like prove his toughness or trying to size up the new guy can't leave well enough alone and ends up getting killed for it. Like that's, that's like such a fucking standard, but always effective Western. Um, yeah. you did, know, scene. did you notice the, the main bad guy in that, or I don't know if you not noticed, cause I didn't notice this, but I read that he was, um, one of the Nazi gang from, Nazis uh, from breaking bad, breaking bad. Yeah. Yeah. He was handlebar, uh, handlebar white supremacist Nazi. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I don't think he made an appearance in El Camino. I can't remember. I think, Oh no. Cause he was, you know, spoiler for Breaking Bad, he was killed at the end of <laughs> Breaking Bad, so he had no reason to. Um, what? But 
yeah he's he's not a very important character so i'm not spoiling anything if you haven't seen that show yet um yeah so uh you know close the guy in the door um but you know and and obviously so he walks over to the blue guy uh who's a blue alien who's getting his ass kicked and uh you you know you think he's maybe going over to check on him but uh it becomes immediately evident that no he's here for him like he's his bounty uh this guy's wanted for presumably some fucking white collar low level you know wuss ass crime because this guy is not a hardened criminal <laughs> um and he shows him his uh bounty puck which is a cool little piece of tech i'm not sure if that's been introduced in in the uh in the clone wars or or, or uh rebels or anything but it that you know as far as i know that's a fairly new thing but it's yeah, basically no, how these uh, tabletop holograms in the whole star wars universe that's totally new <laughs> no of course you know obviously the tabletop holograms are used all the time but it's just a cool thing like that's the the way they you know give them their their assignments basically is with these tabletop uh pucks um so he you know shows him his puck he's like oh well there must be some mistakes so he you know the first words we hear from him of, of, in the entire series are I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. Um, so he goes with him. Uh, he leaves the cantina with him, uh, you know, Which not a bit of a joke it. because the, then, the, yeah, it was a, <laughs> well, so you assume <laughs> he meant like, I'm going to kill you, but no, it really was like, you know, I could bring you in warm or I could freeze you in fucking carbonite. <laughs> but, you know. Well, it's also like, we're going to ride around the Arctic in a convertible uh, with no top for a while. So you're going to, you'd be cold no matter what. Look, he could have had that really nice, that really nice Uber with the nice shiny droid attached to it. But uh, yeah. that's another thing where apparently he's he's not a fan of droids. So I'm sure that'll that'll, you know, I doubt that that's just a random thing. I assume that has some kind of a backstory to it. Um, I don't know if that's really racist in this in, in Star Wars, but I, I mean, kind of. I don't know. I didn't like are we supposed to care about the plight of droids? I, I mean, we we like droids that we know of from the Star Wars movies, but are they? I don't know. Is he even racist to ask that question? <laughs> no, <laughs> these I mean, are these are the things I think about while watching it, this episode. It depends on whether they can pro, uh, procreate. If they can't, then no, not a race. Yeah, so. yeah, uh, I, yeah. I did like that the um, the jalopy speeder driver that he gets was played by uh, comedians of comedy Brian Posehn. Yeah, Brian Posehn. Yeah, uh, who who <laughs> just you know the, the fucking thing rolls up and it like it's it's sputtering and smoke's coming out. <laughs> And then a piece of it falls off too, which is just like, <laughs> all right, here you go. Well, and the funny thing about that, and it, it's just, this is one of my favorite little like Star Wars <clears throat> things is like when you just have a random character that's on screen for like two seconds, but he's just so fucking funny looking. So like the guy that they go to call him this like space Uber is like this guy with like the long fucking snout and he like plays a flute to call the fucking <laughs> uber so uh people online have taken to calling him uh snoot flute or flute snoot because he just has like this fucking like anteater's nose and he plays the flute with it he's just one of those like how how far away are they that they can even hear that flute and why wouldn't you just have like i assume it's some (laughs) sort of digital i don't know man like it seems very impractical it was, but that was, you know, the, a little bit of the kind of slapstick humor of this episode, which was, which is an interesting choice given how kind of like grim and serious a lot of the action was set up to, to, you know, look like, I, I think it's interesting that they kind of gave a little bit of, you know, slapstick comedy, uh, especially with the scene later on where, with, with the, uh, with the blurg, but, um, you know, I, I thought it was a good balance. It didn't feel like cheesy, like, you know, like star Wars can sometimes like, I the example I always cite is at the beginning of um uh Force Awakens when 
uh kylo ren like captures poe and they have him like at gunpoint and he's like you know making fucking cracking jokes before he gets like uh, you know who's gonna talk first am i gonna talk first you gonna talk first it's like th- you, you wouldn't do that like that's it's preposterous you know it's too cute yeah some people good. don't like that because they feel like it's too modern dialect you know uh or when anyone says the words oh my god in this universe <laughs> it's like does that isn't that kind of i mean i know there's like deities but no one really you know anyway uh or says hell but but not, you know yeah i don't i don't mind like if they yeah and then i'll see you in hell no, I, I don't mind if they if they have kind of anachronisms in that sense i just don't think it i just they totally think it's silly it, it feels very like joss whedon marvel like you know joking in like insane preposterous situations where nobody would stop to make a quippy fucking one line you know it just doesn't feel real like and you know i know that's absurd to say in a series about you know a fucking like a space bear and fuck you know like you know and a million other preposterous things but still it's like i want to at least be absorbed into it and not be taken out of the moment so but in any event i don't think that the uh episode uh one did that i think it had a really good balance of the two so um yeah so they call him an, an uber um and then they get into his um <clears throat> his uh transport which is called the uh what was it the razor uh not razor fist what the hell was it called i don't uh, remember because i don't i don't recall details like that it's cool ship design the cgi was great on it though razor uh, crest excuse me i don't know uh, razor I mean. crest which sounds like a, a thing that gillette came up with that you'll sounds see like a new metal band the, yeah yeah <laughs> sounds like a like a mid-2000s new metal band um Razor crest wow <laughs> but uh yeah no it's super cool uh very similar in design to the slave one which was uh which was boba fett's ship you know as i didn't same. think so i thought it was much more similar to like the um the old uh clone trooper uh transport, transport ships yeah, yeah no, it, look, look, at the, look at the cockpit and the engine mounts on the side of it that are come off the top of it uh but yeah it's still a better design um i don't know if you know much about the 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 shipbuilding stuff but uh it was the, i don't know the guy's names either i saw a little promo months ago so i'm just recalling this out of nowhere um but they basically figured out how to do all the really complicated motion uh you know shooting models in a dark soundstage stuff they did for the original star wars like they figured out how to do that just in a garage with oh, like right. a, a, an slr camera and have it look just as good, you know. I mean, obviously there's CGI elements added to it, but for the, you know, they're, you know, for for the ships flying in space stuff, they're they're using models again, which is really which fucking is cool, fucking great. Because honestly, when you watch, you know, and I've like maybe blaster bolts aside, but when you actually watch them moving through space, I, I really vastly prefer watching the original trilogy space fights to watching the new ones because the new ones just look like a video game cutscene, like they don't look at all realistic, and at least you know with the models you you see like real tactile surfaces on all of these sure. crafts you know it's, it really makes you notice on the little um sort of uh crossing the frame shot of that first very fancy yellow speeder with the droid in it it looked really like didn't look like it fit in the in the image at all yeah 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 like like way too i mean it looked polished on the on the texture but it just it was it such looked, a one little liner joke that they're like we're not going to spend you know a hundred thousand dollars to build one of these things for a two-second visual gag you know so that's probably sure, why it was just yeah 
Well, I mean, one of the things, one just visually, and you achieve this through multiple uh, components. But one of the things I love about Rogue One is like the multi-textural aspect of it, where uh, I really see a lot of that reflected in this series, at least in the pilot, where he, you know, he's got this very shiny helmet that's got like grime encrusted into the grooves of it, where you can see it's not dented up uh, and, and tarnished like his chest plate is, but it's getting dirty. Like it's getting there. So you have different yeah. levels of, of dirt and grime in different places. Uh, it, it's just that it's a hard thing when you're trying to do all of that with CGI elements. It, it's way easier to do realistic texture with actual services and actual photography than it is to try to, you know, guess which parts would be dirty, uh, you know, and, and then have that moving and having a computer render all that just doesn't look as good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so from there we, we get the scene where he's trying to take off and this, this ice creature, uh, which is, has eaten poor Brian Pasein, uh moments earlier, uh, is holding on to the ship, uh, not letting it leave. So he goes out and, and kind of zaps it with his super cool, like rifle, like bayonet, electric bayonet thing that he's got, uh, that, you know, his, his it's really interesting. Uh, th- they did a good job of making him very, uh, like as cool as people thought the original Boba Fett design was, I think Mandalorian has like a way cooler look to him even than Boba did. Like he's got just really that, cool weaponry. That that electric rifle thing is was originally Boba Fett's from the uh, animated Christmas special. <laughs> yeah, well, that was there's there's a couple of references to the uh, Star Wars holiday yeah. special. It's it's holiday. It's not Christmas because they're celebrating Life Day. They're not celebrating. <laughs> oh, it's the, the Christmas special. Fuck that. <laughs> yes, of yeah. course. Um, but no, they're celebrating Life Day where they decorate the the uh, Life Day tree and uh, sing Life Day carols. So you know, um, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so it was, but you know, they managed to make it look super fucking cool the way he kind of spins it off his back when he needs it. Um, and, uh, so he gets, they get away. Um, <clears throat> and that's, uh, when Horatio Sands, you know, trying to figure out a way out, presumably asked to use the, uh, vac tube, which is the, the space equivalent of a bathroom. Um, although they don't have a fucking door on bathrooms, I, I, I guess. I mean, it, that's your little trailer. Why would you? But I was blown away by that because it's like in, in, in the entire universe of first time, both Star Wars it. and Star Trek, it's the first time a bathroom's even been referenced, let alone shown. And it was literally just like a porta potty into space. <laughs> yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that, that was, that was a little, that was great. And, and that was, I was like, oh my God, they're doing it. They're finally showing a bathroom (laughs) in it for the last 55 years of of TV and, and film, uh, sci-fi, the two biggest franchises in in our culture. And they've never shown it fucking toilet before. (laughs) No, it's true. Um, so I, I thought that was really amusing. And, and by the way, um, uh Horatio Sands' character at one point as he's like trying to like subtly walk around although why you would keep talking as you're moving away from the area and makes it super obvious that you're you know exploring is beyond me but uh as he's talking you mentioned about how he wants to get back to his family for life day which I which I laughed at because again yeah it's a reference to the the infamous and awful but super fun to watch once uh Star Wars holiday special, um, which, which actually was our first glimpse of, uh, Kashyyyk, uh, Chewie's home planet. Uh, and you got to meet Chewie's entire family, including his son, Itchy. So, you know, that was a, <laughs> that was a real, uh, worthwhile entry into the canon. Um, Hey, B. Arthur is canon in the Star Wars universe. 
That's true. Luke, she was on. Lucas said it. He said it's canon. So that means B. Arthur, <laughs> technically canon. Favorite he said Golden it's canon Man. before destroying every copy and never letting it be released, uh, <laughs> you know, officially because it's so bad. But uh, no, certainly worth a watch because there's, as you mentioned, several references to it in this uh, in this episode. <laughs> so. Um, and by the way, I think that was actually the first appearance of Boba Fett because that was even before he appeared in Empire. So yeah, that was. was, which was a funny way to introduce such a, I, I, you know, I, sh- I, I, I'm reluctant to say significant character because he has a very minor role ultimately in the films, but his just because of the iconic nature of his his armor, he's taken on a way more uh, significant role in the expanded universe and in you know, prequels and et cetera, et cetera. Sell some toys. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, they, to their credit, they built that a really cool backstory for, uh, Mandalore and, and, you know, the bounty hunters and Mandalorian bounty hunters and Django and both. So, you know, um, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, so they, so then he figures out what he's, that he's fucking around and he, you know, imprisons him in carbonite, uh, and, you know, lines him up alongside like three other guys. He's already, uh, frozen in carbonite. Um, I, I got so, the sense that that's kind of what he does is he just gets, you know, he catches him, but he sits him down in the, in the cockpit and then just waits till they have to go to the bathroom <laughs> or, or tries to like pull a little thing. You notice he goes down and finds his huge, huge weapons catch and, and doesn't pull a weapon and try to uh-huh. do it. Like he's still just kind of like looking around, you know, clearly he knows he can't escape and he's not going to try to like shoot this guy. Cause he's handcuffed and knows he's, you know, not a, doesn't have a chance in hell, but it, it, it seemed as though it was kind of like a, you know, here's how I get them to voluntarily go down here without a struggle. And then I just give them like one little shove into the fucking carbonite thing yeah. there. And then, and that's all it is. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was a nice little reveal because you realize that the, you know, from the Empire where freezing people was not a normal thing done. Now it very much is a normal thing, or at least this bounty hunter does this and doesn't care about whether it's going to harm them or not. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you're trying to transport a bunch of people, it's probably easier that when you don't have a like a cargo or a prison area on your ship, he's got a pretty, you know, that, that they make it clear that he's not a rich bounty hunter by any stretch of the imagination, despite being a good bounty hunter it's made obvious very early on that currency is super um tenuous and you know sure. fluctuating and yeah and like he doesn't want to have to feed the guy and then sit there and listen to him fucking talking over the meal over and, like, about you know and and he even says like do you guys even take your helmets off is it true you never take off your helmets like how does how does he even fucking eat if he doesn't take off that helmet does he just eat through a tube you know like well, clearly so- <laughs> he'll take his fucking helmet like that's a bunch of people are like oh that means you never i was like no nah, just because one idiot says it doesn't mean he's not going to take his helmet off we know from canon that other mandalorians take their helmets off all the time you know especially in the right. animated uh clone wars which by the way dave filoni who directed this episode um and lucas considers like his protege like the re- he considers him kind of the keeper of the canon um was the uh producer on the clone wars on rebels on resist he's he was like heading up a lot of the animated stuff. So he's got a lot of, um, he's got, he's got feet in those waters and he, he certainly is not going to be contradicting anything from those, uh, Canon shows. So I think for sure that's, that was just like a, a one-off line and I'm sure, you know, you don't pay Pedro Pascal to have him never take his fucking helmet off. 
No. You know, no. Very and, handsome and, man. And if so you've sure. seen the other space western that Pedro starred in, a little indie film made for only like $1.2 million called Prospect, highly recommend you check oh, out yeah, that indie that film. Uh, it's still, you know, you see his face the whole time because it's not, you know, not covered up. It's like a more traditional space helmet, uh, as you would think of it. But like, clearly he had it on the whole movie, so he's not, you know, he, he's he's okay with doing the, the sort of uh, the labor of having to wear a bunch of bulky costume stuff in the desert. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's not going to hide his whole face the whole time. He's a leading man, right? Yeah. And when we get his backstory, I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll see him without his, without his helmet for sure. So um, yeah. So from there we uh, get a scene with, uh, you know, everyone's favorite uh, golf instructor, Carl Weathers, uh, where he plays uh, <laughs> the head of the, uh, of the bounty hunters guild. And that's, you know, the name of our show. And of course we named it that because uh, we do, we, the main show that we host is move left idiots, which is our socialist uh, news and talk podcast. So we always try to come up with a, uh, a leftist themed, uh, you know, title for our, for our shows. We of course have what what's left of the watchmen, but you know, bounty hunters guild is the closest thing in the star Wars universe to a union. So we figured, yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> that'll, that'll work. Um, mm-hmm. but so, yeah, so he goes to Carl Weathers, uh, and brings in his, uh, bounties, and you know goes to collect and uh he tries to pay him in imperial credits and this is something that's actually explored a lot in the uh in the legends now they're the, the legends canon you know the, the expanding universe novels but uh it and it's you know it makes a lot of sense once the empire fell and once uh the emperor was killed uh currency super fucking uh you know unstable and when you're in an, especially in the outer rim where there was no necessarily allegiance to either the uh, republic or the empire uh it, it's like some people are going to accept that some people aren't when the you know now that the empire fell i mean the, you would imagine that if there was a galactic stock market the empire's you know share pl- share prices and right, exchange rates would have fucking plummeted so uh right. you can't give this shit away it, it is a nice touch though just to kind of make it you know like clearly some people are still accepting it because they think oh well the empire is going to come back and it's going to be worth something and other people are like no nah, i'm not touching that right well that's exactly so it, it, yeah. it's, it's not universally recognized the same way that a lot of currencies here in our world are universally rec- recognized versus not so much well, and it also speaks to just the the general stupidity of, of currency in general and how it's really just a social contract. And, you know, uh, and, and that's something they explore a lot. And I'm reading right now the Thrawn trilogy, which is a great uh, Star Wars expanding universe uh, series, um, which takes place, I think, five years after the Battle of Endor. So five years after Return of the Jedi. And that's a big plot point is that, you know, like half the people they run into uh accept imperial currency and half the people accept new new republic uh currency because it's like well we think that they're going to end up winning this battle even though they're depleted we think the empire is going to end up prevailing because they have you know general Thrawn, they have this and then it's like well no then you know the republic is in control of this system and so it's very interesting in a world this big to see who accepts what reminiscent of our own uh, american civil war and the currency there yeah actually very similar yeah uh, you know eventually the confederate currency is valuable because it's now a collector's item and you can't you can't get any more of it (laughs) so yeah uh yeah or or if you find you know uh, currency from uh ancient rome 
Uh, no one's going to honor that as currency, but that's, that's a historical artifact now where now it's really valuable. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, but they, they, they settled on calamari flan, which is just such a preposterous name for a piece of currency. Yeah. It looks like Um, urinal mints. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it looked preposterous, but also like your, your, your society is already named after a fucking food. Do you really have to name your currency flan? Like after another food, like you couldn't. come up with something a little less uh your species is named after a small squid that you throw into stir fry i mean come on yeah <laughs> no exactly so um yeah i shouldn't have said food they are actually a, a species of, of of you know ocean life but but mainly we interact with them as not me i don't like seafood but we interact with them as uh food but yes then to then name your your currency after food is also kind of funny um yeah so uh you know, he asks he asks him for uh, a bounty, and he doesn't have anything worthwhile, nothing that would even pay his his fuel costs. Um, and if he, of course, they, and again, this is just Western trope one hundred and one. He's like, okay, I do have one, uh, but I can't give you any info on it. It's secretive. You got to meet you know meet this guy face to face to to you know to get the info you need. Um, so he accepts it, uh, and we see. Uh, we see the Mandalorian. Well, I'm just going to call him Mando for short for now until we learn his real name. Cause you know, it's easier. Um, so we see him, uh, go to meet with this, um, the, you know, the, the person who's, who's taking out this contract. Uh, and he enters into this, uh, kind of shady, uh, the shady building. And it's, uh, he opens the door and there's a room for us full of stormtroopers. So now, you know, there's just one kind of a funny star bit of Star Wars um, almost built in reaction is when you see a room full of stormtroopers, it's like, oh, fuck, you know, run, shoot him, like whatever. But, you know, because he's a bounty hunter and he's not necessarily loyal to either side, he uh, doesn't have that reaction immediately. He, he's like, oh, OK. Um, but, you know, it, it was interesting to see them because they all had like a lot of uh dirt and grime on their uniforms and that's not something that was that's uh, right this is the rogue ever one allowed universe, so yeah uh well, but but also, they, you know, it, and they they often you know they, they weren't always battle troops a lot of times they were kind of like stand around cop type guys just to harass people and be like hey yeah. where's your permit to mostly drive yeah thing through here so uh but clearly these are some loyalists that are so you know sort of hangers on to uh Werner herzog who's some kind of uh former certainly ex ex imperial for sure or current yeah. imperial you know ex and people have said you know or, like his, his his sigils don't look like uh general stuff they look like um some kind of governor or statesman uh who's fallen out of power but still runs some kind of crime underworld syndicate thing yeah and i mean it just Werner fucking Herzog, like it, pull that. What a pull to get Werner Herzog to act in your fucking you know space space western movie. Uh, I saw TV the I, I saw the last. <laughs> I can't even do the accent. It sounds like Jacques Cousteau <laughs> like, when I do it. Yeah. Well, he did a whole movie with fucking penguins, and then he sees you know what is it? Uh, last Jedi with the porgs, and he's just instinctively drawn to <laughs> the little birds that wanted to commit suicide, and you know you know whatever. You, if but, you've seen true, what's the, what's the the anarchy movie he did? What's it called? Okay, uh, I can't remember. Um, something about the end of the year. He had like a whole segment about the 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 the, um, the penguins that go insane, 
and then just like try to walk off by themselves for a thousand miles in one direction. And if you try to like turn them around, they'll just turn and keep going and they'll just walk to their death until they freeze yeah. to death up in the mountains. So I just the assumed the there world. was a, there was a Porg uh, penguin connection that drew Werner Herzog into star Wars. Yeah, for sure. But, and by the way, typical Werner Herzog fashion, uh, he, when they asked him in an interview, he's like, yeah, no, I, I haven't seen, uh, the, uh too many, any of the star Wars movies and I haven't seen any of the movies that John Favreau's done. <laughs> like, he's just like, Oh, you know, whatever. It just seemed like fun. And, uh, but he actually, he actually had pretty high praise for the series, presuming that he, you know, was shown like a cut of it. So, you know, that's, that's good, 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 like praise from somebody who's, you know, a very eccentric uh figure and not one to often be like yeah i'll tow the company line on something sure um, well i mean nobody nobody has taken risks as a filmmaker the way that Werner herzog has uh much to the detriment of the safety and welfare of his cast and crew uh and I, <laughs> yes. I, I presume you've seen Fitzcarraldo. Yes, of course and i know the the horrific story behind the uh yeah. have you filming seen of Fitzcarraldo. The, the uh the the documentary burden of dreams about the making of Fitzcarraldo. no i didn't know there uh, so i gotta watch that i i've, yeah, I've read the story it, about it, the making of it but that's i mean it, it's pretty much everything they did to pull that ship over that mountain they really did do except they had a, a couple bulldozers to help pull it up the the, the pulleys but uh it it shows you kind of like the 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 labor of klaus kinsey's character in that film wasn't his labor it was Werner herzog's labor to to make that happen and still they don't show all of the footage of really what happened you got to wait a few more decades until herzog came out with a documentary called my best fiend uh about klaus kinski in which you see like the rest of the footage of the making of fitzgeraldo and you're like oh my god it was so much worse than they ever wanted to show in burn of dreams especially because like when, when they did burn of dreams they didn't show that klaus kinski was insane and threatening to murder people on, on the set, uh, which he does several times, um, in throughout the making of it. So yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, the fact that <laughs> a guy that would literally make a movie about hauling a ship over a mountain, uh, to, to, you know, 35 years later to then be like, Hey, I'll go be the, the Viceroy in the star Wars thing. Uh, it's just kind of amazing to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it put, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Um, and he, by the way, his character in this in this series is known only as the client. And I'm sure, uh, considering what happens at the end of this episode, we'll be seeing him again. So he gives um, Mando, he gives him his assignment, and he says, "Look, I can't tell you uh, where he is. I can give you this uh, this um, what do they call it? Beacon? I, I forget exactly what they call it, but they call it basically a fop. beacons. But they call it a fop. Like you open oh, your okay. apartment or your car with a fop." But it really, it's like a beacon. I, I love all the names for all the little little things. There's little the tech, chit, yeah. there's the puck, and then there's the fop. So keep those in mind as you're watching this I show. think it's fop. Well, I mean, the, as, in terms of the key, like that you'd open your car is fob with a B, but maybe they call it a fop on, on yeah, the show. Yeah, clo- close enough. Fop, fob, whatever. But, um, I open my but fucking it, locks with a regular key like normal people from normal <laughs> centuries. Um. Yeah, so um, you know, he gives him he gives him the fob or the fop, uh, and you know he tells him like this is this is his last known location. You know, a bounty hunter like you should be able to figure it out from there. Um, and he you know gives him kind of an upfront pay, like you know he gives him part of his pay up front to kind of show him how serious he is, and he gives him a piece of beskar, um, which is a uh, 
a, a metal alloy that's native to Mandalore. Uh, it's only found on Mandalore and uh, one of its moons. And it was uh, actually seized almost entirely by uh, the Empire in the wake of Order 66, like which was the, you know, big uh, power grab by, by Palpatine, where he killed all the Jedi or most of the Jedi um, and took over uh, right after he was given emergency, you know, uh, powers of, as, as chancellor, supreme chancellor. Uh, thanks to fucking good for nothing Jar Jar Binks, you know, who had to come one more time in to fuck the series up for everybody else uh, in episode three. Um, but so, uh, they, yeah, so basically they, you know, they committed a war crime as 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 they do <laughs> the Empire and stole all of Mandalore's natural resources. Um, so, you know, Beskar Steel is... Uh, one of the strongest allies in the star Wars universe. It's able to withstand blaster fire. It's able to withstand a glancing blow from a lightsaber, which is not something most alloy, you know, you can say that about most alloy in the star Wars. I was universe. Say, you said ally the first time, but alloy the second time I got confused for a second. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that it can actually withstand lightsaber. So that that's it's something kind of, it's, I just learned. It's yeah, it's it's essentially the Star Wars equivalent of like adamantium from you know like from Marvel or, or vibranium or whatever you know it's it's a extremely strong um, alloy which is why uh, it why it's so highly desirable in uh, Mandalorian armor creation because you see you know that in the opening uh, scene or no I'm sorry not the opening scene but the scene uh, later on where. Uh, where he's attacked by that blurg that his his uh arm uh gauntlet is like crushed by that that you know the bite from that that blurg um so he's using like pretty cheap scrap you know metal for the rest of his his suit because beskar is such a rare commodity um you know his helmet's obviously made of beskar but that's the only piece of his equipment up until the scene we're about to talk about that is actually made of that material um and it makes sense if you had some, you'd, you'd make a helmet out of it first, protect your head. Of course. Um, yeah. It's weird, though, because if you look at his two original shoulder plates, like the one on the other side is way more fucked up. So it's kind of strange yeah. that he does this one first. Like, I don't know if there's like a hierarchy to it, like, you know, doing the mother, son, father, trinity, holy cross thing. where It's, it's possible. Like, no, you, yeah. you have to do this one, then that one, then that. It's like an order religious type thing or whatever, but. And they actually a bunch of people on Reddit picked up that his uh, his pauldron, uh, which is what I guess that shoulder piece is called, um, that that he replaces his right pauldron was actually the same as the uh, the stormtroopers or or beach troopers. I don't know what you'd call them from Rogue One from uh, from the planet uh, that, where where they steal the where they steal the Death Star plan. So that that was actually the same uh, same paint job on that on that armor. So that might have been where huh. he he got that from. Um, but you could tell, but that's again, just kind of like subtle, you know, show no tell backstory is that his, his armor is very piecemeal and there's obviously stories behind where he got it, but he's not, you know, a rich man. He's not Django Fett. Like when you, when we see Django Fett in the prequels, he's got beautiful uniform, uh, presumably completely Beskar made armor, uh, cause it has that same kind of shine to it. Uh, and he's also living in a super nice place, you know, in, in Camino, but, um, that's not the case for, 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 uh, our Mandalorian. So, um, yeah, so he gets that piece of Beskar and, uh, the next scene we see, which is, you know, maybe the most interesting in terms of potential future, uh, storytelling is, uh, him entering into this, 
it almost seems like maybe a refugee uh, type uh, place or like just a, a Mandalorian hangout. Like, you know, he walks into this building and everyone we see is dressed in Mandalorian armor. Um, there's, you know, a couple eagle eyed uh, viewers and I didn't catch this when I watched it, but, you know, froze it at one point And when you really like lighten up the, the picture, it's very dark. But when you lighten it up, there's somebody who looks uh, strikingly similar to Boba Fett. Uh, in the corner of this of this hallway that he's walking through and you know beyond just the the helmet and the you know armor it, you know at, which everyone has a very similar uh it's he's got the same colors and he actually has the same dent in his helmet from a blaster bolt that uh was, was mm. it was hit with i think in the third movie so if it's not him uh this guy probably stole <laughs> stole boba's armor um but so and, you know, for people that would think like, oh, well, he died in in Return of the Jedi uh, in all of the ex- in the expanded universe, he survives that. And, you know, uh, it, of course, they always. Well, yeah. But so here, here, here's my deal with that is, is this is, again, like one of the criticisms I have with with the Star Wars world of giving finality to a character through death and then they just retcon it later on and it's like oh we sewed him back together and oh he climbed back out of the thing and oh uh we're just going to clone this character to bring them back in it, it, it and like that's one of the like the weaponized nostalgia aspects of star wars that i cannot fucking stand that they they take yeah. a risk and then they pull it back to make more money well but so now i mean slight counterpoint to that in boba's case specifically he did go out like a bitch like they 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 had him in like one scene in empire and then one scene in return of the jedi and he fucking gets like killed in like a pretty slapstick way like he bumps into han solo and like his jetpack malfunctions and he flies into the like so i i can see being like hey this was not a in retrospect being like hey this is a much cooler character when you build out his backstory and maybe we shouldn't have had such a dumb death for him. It was a cool costume. There was no character. There was no 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 of course to speak of built, until yeah. they, you know, retconned it. But uh, the, the thing that I uh, about you know when he goes down to this sort of <clears throat> very underlit underground bunker where the rest of you know whatever's left of the Mandalorians are kind of hanging out, uh, seemed a little reminiscent of the uh, the the underground bunkers in the first Terminator movie. Not quite as depressing, mm. but you get yeah. a sense of like these are like the last of a people who are sort of in hiding, right? And they're not really preparing for anything. They're kind of just mulling around. I think two of them are playing some kind of form of chess, actually. Uh, but the, this is a place where I, I, can, I can't even remember what the visual was, it was whatever. But yeah. uh, th- this place they have is kind of their um, the refuge somewhat a refuge yeah and in this forge or this foundry that he goes to uh in this this woman who's the uh, blacksmith so to speak um is, is someone Referred who knows to the from, armor in the script right so is someone he knows from before like this person who has like the you know the elephant skull uh, metal sculpture up on the wall and everything that this is kind of like someone who is uh kind of sacred to what they have going on clearly is, is uh, the person entrusted to reform this metal into the plates of armor that are, are very important to who they are uh, as a culture. Yeah. 
and so now a couple things and i love this scene i just want maybe my favorite scene in the episode um for what it implies and just for you know other aspects of it but uh i don't know if you noticed but her helmet uh the armor's helmet has a uh, dathomirian uh horns on it which was the uh what's his face uh darth maul's race um so you know that might be significant in terms of where she came from or who she's you know what her backstory is if we ever do get a backstory for her i assume we'll see her again because it seems to be that like the one of the arcs in this series is that he'll be getting more you know beskar armor made presumably from from her and we'll we'll learn more about his you know history with her but um and apparently they have some kind of children's charity set up to, uh, you know, she says like, well, the, the excess metal yeah. uh, will, will go to, you know, the little Lebowski urban achievers or whatever the, <laughs> the equivalent. Well, so, uh, so this is, this is what I actually like about this, this scene. And I, I think it, I mean, it's really subtle, so it's hard to pick up on, but I think the implication is that he actually was a foundling. Um, well, he even says, I, you know, I, I was once a foundling, but the implication I think is that he's not an actual Mandalorian. He's a refugee uh, from a war torn city. And what uh, foundlings actually are in star Wars lore is that, you know, Mandalorians will basically Mandalorian uh, Mandalore is a very tribal um, planet, uh, very tribal people. So they have, you know, tribes within Mandalore uh, like clans essentially uh not not like the bad clan from from america but like you know like clans of people so uh but but foundlings are are basically refugees that are taken in from like countries you know ravaged by by the galactic civil war by the clone wars um and made basically into a member of that clan so i think our implication is that uh the mandalorian that we know is not an actual mandalorian by birth he wasn't born on mandalore uh, but from that scene we see in the flashback, he's actually a refugee of one of the, uh, you know, of the galactic civil war, most likely. Uh, and that's why he's, you know, that's why he is so, uh, uh, you know, that's why he says like, oh, I was once a foundling. I'm like, I'm, he's glad to let the excess of that, that, you know, the, the Beskar go towards them. And it also speaks to his decision at the end of the, at the end of the episode, because he was, you know, once a refugee, he almost, he could have been killed. He was, you know, it, it's, I think that's like the humanity of this character because it's a character that we don't see much humanity uh, from for most of the episode. But I think that that's his kind of hidden humanity, which is why I, I kind of like that, you know, flashback aspect of it as much as, yeah, I, I, you know, I know you weren't thrilled with like the, uh, it, it, giving him too much backstory because it is cool to just have him as kind of the man with no name, but sure. I think if we're well, going to learn let me about speak him to that real quick yeah, yeah. is you, well, one of the things you notice right off the bat he's wearing really fancy robes, right? Him and his family who were running from uh, you know the the super droids blast and everything are wearing pretty fancy clothing, right? And even though the backdrop mm-hmm. looks like the kind of rundown alleyways of wherever, uh, their clothes don't so either that's like they were impersonating somebody or trying to you know thought like hey if we put on rich people clothes they won't kill us but it's also just like to have a flashback to his childhood in the pilot episode you know it's just kind of like really we're already doing the backstory like if there is any hold off on that for a while uh, but then also just to like to go guns blazing into, oh, my whole family was slaughtered and they hid me away. And it's, it's like it's basically the Rogue One backstory for Jenner. So already 
plus like a jillion other fucking characters that became who they were because of the family getting killed when they were, you know. Well, uh, I mean, it, it, it's the whole universe like, though is in upheaval. The entirety of the the franchise, I get that. Or, but it's just it's it's like it's too early. Intercutting that with the scene where you know she's she's welding this shoulder, it was just it it, it felt very ham fisted to me and took me out of the moment rather than adding to it. And if you're gonna you know do a series of flashbacks, like don't go full into oh we're all being shot at and killed in the first flashback you do in the pilot, like, okay, flashback to, yeah, he's a kid. And maybe you show him look up at a parent, mother, whoever, and you have a little bit of a sense of like, Oh, we're happy together. And then maybe at the very end of the flashback, you see like a glimpse of something about, you know, something bad about to happen, but just to, you know, go right into just, Oh, here's all, here's the, the, you know, the, the worst of the worst of our, you know, being shot at by these battle droids. It, it, I was I was disappointed by that moment. Um, not gonna lie. So yeah, that's fair. I I, I enjoyed it, but I I think you know it, it just it did feel a little short to me. I don't know why this episode was so short. Like it feels like you're you have unlimited time. Like you, the episode is forty minutes long, so it could have been an hour long. Like it, it just seemed like weird that there was such a truncated feel to this episode it being yeah. the pilot but you yeah, know like 17 I, minutes in and i was like oh there's only 20 minutes left <laughs> so, yeah, i was just like that's fucking weird but what i mean maybe I, the, you know i wonder if they were just like okay this is launch day uh across most of the world and they were anticipating a lot of server problems and they were like all right let's just make the pilot really short and hopefully like cross our fingers it doesn't fuck up for too many people um yeah. I didn't I have try to, to imagine it until like 11 o'clock at night, but uh, Disney plus fail was already trending as a hashtag on Twitter by about four in the afternoon. Yeah. Cause they knew that would be the first thing most people went to, to watch when they, when they bought the app. Um, oh yeah. No, absolutely. But, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if episode two wasn't at least 50 minutes long. Um, but we'll see. Um, Hope so. Yeah. But so, yeah, so, but th- we see the purpose of Beskar steel, you know, you make, she make, makes him that pawn, uh, the, uh, I forget, I forget what it was called, but the, um, but the shoulder piece, which is, um, you know, uh, just, it, it seems like that's, that's the, the move is to just, you know, we'll, we'll see him collecting pieces of Beskar, hopefully. Uh, although <laughs> by the end of the episode, I don't think, uh, Warner's going to, Werner's going to be too happy with him, uh, considering what he does. So, uh, we see him leave this, this little, for uh foundry uh and <laughs> it just a subtle little thing it's it was a stupid little one one off moment but i i really enjoyed uh he walks past this uh this creature on a spit roast and you realize it's uh it's it's the same species as uh salacious crumb which is the little rat face guy that that's in jabba's palace that like claws uh c-3po's eye out just a really funny looking little fucking rat thing uh, and you see another one in a cage and he's like being forced to watch his f- friend, you know, roast alive, which is pretty grim. Um, but, you know, he's are, a are dick. Are so. to conclude that they're all little unethical rats that nobody cares for? Or are they sentients yeah. or I don't know. Is it just, does it speak oh. to the kind of baseline unethicalness of the universe? Probably because I mean they're not they're definitely sentient like you know that the one the the one that was in Java's palace Salacious Crumb is like laughing at jokes and shit so clearly they're not like dumb at like they're dumb but they're not like super dumb animals you know they they have enough intelligence to hmm. understand humor that's that's probably a pretty high bar for a, a species um, well parakeets can dance to music so 
Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but uh but but they're just inherently funny you know jim henson looking creatures so whenever i see them on screen i laugh regardless of uh of circumstances um and it also reminded me of the scene from uh from last jedi where chewy is uh roasting the porg and then he <laughs> you know goes to eat it and you see the other horrified porgs looking on and he you know decides to throw it away um yeah with which, those, which at with that those... point you fucking cooked it you know <laughs> you might as well well, I mean, you're just wasting it. At the, but it, yeah, it's hard to, I guess, hard the, to those, eat. If those giant porg irises that take up the entire portion of what you can see of their eyes that we uh, yeah. see later on in this episode. I was going to say, I, I, up until now, the cutest creatures in the Star Wars universe, up until the end of this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, we, you know, he. Uh, so he goes to uh, another unnamed planet, uh, which, you know. Well, I, I assume we'll eventually figure out which planet it is, but maybe it's not significant. But, you know, again, it, it, in Star Wars, uh, these things can be extremely significant uh, depending on the planet because then you can extrapolate, okay, who's the crime family on that planet? Is that is that run by the Hut, you know, criminal organization? Is that run by, uh, you know, and is that in Empire control? Is that in, uh, you know, Republic control or Rebel control or Resistance control, depending on what time period you're looking at. So and those are honestly aspects that like, I, I don't care about. Like it's, it might, might as well be wild Westeros for all I care. Cause like, it's <laughs> clearly, it's a desert planet. There's yeah. vast stretches of, of what looks like uh, a lake bed with like clay that's dried up and cracked only. It's like, you know, hundreds of yards across instead of a few inches across, which is, I mean, visually kind of cool, but uh, yeah, this is, this well, is um, where he uh, meets up with Nick Nolte's, character yeah which uh this fucking guy q q i think is i don't know how you pronounce it k-u-i-l-l or k-u-i-i-l uh so we'll just call him q uh this hilarious uh creature design on on this guy uh you know he helps him out he saves him from a blurg attack um just says i have spoken after any kind of declarative statement which is you know it's a pretty boss ass move. It's like, oh no, I, I've spoken. Like, you know, that's that's the end of this this uh conversation. But uh he he's he's a funny little uh you know Yoda-esque character for sure. Well, it, um, it, it felt like a sort of a mix of simple mindedness and also lack of uh vocabulary. Uh yeah. with, with with the language where he's like, I don't really know how to say it any other way, so just ponder <laughs> what I already said. And let's get on with it, right? Like, I, it kind of had that dual uh, function. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so he explains to him that, like, you know, a lot of other people have come and tried to to, to, to collect on this bounty, and they've all died. Um, you know, obviously, this thing is being held uh, under extremely tight security. Um, it's unclear at this point as to who is holding it, um, what group is holding it, and what, how they, you know, came into possession of it. But... Um, so he, uh, you know, he teaches him how to ride a blurg, um, which, you know, it doesn't go super great, but it's, it's an amusing scene of him trying to like tame this thing. Um, so from there we, um, oh, and just briefly before I get to that, one thought I had when we were talking about the planets and whether or not it matters, like largely it doesn't, but I'm interested in terms of like who we may see, uh, tied in with this plot in terms of character known characters or known entities within the universe like you know crimson dawn at this point is 
still uh, operating and, you know, still, still a very significant, you know, criminal organization. Uh, I believe Darth Maul is, is the head of it at this point, right after, or no, I'm sorry. Well, this takes place after Return of the Jedi. So never mind. No, 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 I'm thinking, okay, never mind. But, but still, it's, it, it's interesting to see like who would be involved in uh, the acquisition of this, this creature that we see at the end of this episode and who uh, created this, this creature. Was it created naturally? Was it cloned? Like that, that which is all things we'll get to. But um, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> uh, he, he finds, uh, Mando finds this uh, complex, I guess you would call it, uh, where, where, where the beacon is, is, you know, is pinging from, uh, and he, you know, stumbles upon uh, a, a fucking insane shootout uh, going on between uh, Real quick IG-11. before you get to the shootout, yeah, yeah. while yeah. we're still up on the, on the hilltop, he's peeking over. Uh, this was because I'm a, I'm a sucker for Westerns or at least the iconography of Westerns. Uh, yeah. when he climbs up over this hilltop and, and you see this little outpost, uh, or, uh, compuesta in Spanish, which is Spanish for compound. It looks almost identical to the, the compuesta in the finale of, uh, the uh, seminal Western Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid right down to the, the, the shape of the archways, the sort of uh, C shape of the entire complex uh, mm-hmm. and the well in the middle of the complex. It doesn't have like a little turn crank on the top. It's just like a little ring in a pit. Um, and that was very apparent to me, especially like the climbing up over the hilltop that's adjacent to it to kind of peek at it first, which was a shot in Butch casting the Sundance Kid, which there's, there's all the federales climbing up over this little hill to catch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance mm-hmm. Kid. Uh, and, and you know, you, you were about to talk about the shootout, the the blocking of the shootout of these two characters against like an army of dudes that are way more armed uh, than mm-hmm. they are. Just I, I know you haven't seen it, but it's um, if anyone has go back and watch that final 10 minutes because it's so fucking similar right down to like the huge like Gatlin gun used in the scene. <laughs> really? Well, and I could tell there was a ton of Western inspired shots in this scene, just like, you know, him oh, hopping yeah. around the pillar and shooting up at the guy on the roof, the guy falling like, it's just very, you know, reminiscent of, of spaghetti Western. So uh, I, very I really, much a lot of Westerns, but just go, go watch like specifically the last 10 that scene. Yeah. You don't have to watch the whole movie. You just watch the last 10 minutes. And you'd be like, Oh, this was like deliberately. They're trying to yeah. be like, Hey, look, this is an homage. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually curious if that was a uh, John Favreau decision or a uh, Dave Filoni decision. But I but yeah, for, it's a it's definitely a deliberate homage. Um, and I think it's probably Favreau because he really knows what he's doing with with these sorts of uh, things. But um, yeah, so we meet IG-11, who is uh, this really funny uh, bounty droid uh, voiced by Takita w- w- Wakiti, uh, who is Watiti. Watiti, who is the, uh, you know, director, famous director, uh, directed What We Do in the Shadows, recently directed Jojo Rabbit, which you've, you know, sang the praises of on, uh, oh, on our so Watchmen good. cast. So good. It, it better win Best Picture because I've never seen a better film this year. Um, yeah, I he also directed the, the amazing Thor Ragnarok, obviously. No, of course. One, I mean, our... Certainly the most fun Marvel movie. I'd, you know, argue the most rewatchable uh, Marvel movie also. Yes. Um, but, uh, and, and also the least like the other Marvel movies, I would say. So, um, 
but so yeah really funny guy funny you know does funny voice work um you know they get in, they get in this incredible shootout sequence there's the fucking you know there's a, bl- a blaster gatlin gun there's just incredible action um really one of the best shootouts you've ever seen put to film in a star wars you know anything um uh you know there's just this constant- I, I would even say like the the blaster like the actual blasts themselves the way they illuminate other things around them, uh, mm-hmm. it, it looks better than, you know, and again, this is outdoors and sunlight, right? So you wouldn't yeah. think that there'd be a lot of illumination that you could do with it. Uh, it, it looks the shadows more though, they do a lot natural. Oh, yeah. And, and keep in mind the whole time, like the, the fucking helmet on the main character is completely shiny. So every scene they're shooting, they got to go in and digitally take out the camera being reflected in or find a really good angle to not pick up yeah it, it's yeah very difficult. But, but like we're in the age of hd now so like that's almost impossible <laughs> right yeah um and uh, you know uh, we we sort of said like the, some of the cgi with like that that at first that yellow speeder didn't look up to par right well the the um motion capture cgi they did with uh, uh taika uh YT, ig11 yeah as IG 11, like all that looked amazing because all that CGI on top of his actual movements and everything. And like, not, mm-hmm. and there's like, you know, missing parts in the middle of him. Cause he's not like C3PO where he's just a, you know, human solid. in a solid gold thing. There's, there's, you can see through him. So that's all stuff where they have to go in and like, you know, look at what was there and then take that and put it, what was behind him in front of him. So it looks like there's a hole between two little struts and everything. So, uh really good job and they just have a really funny interaction too where, where he's just like this that is you know that is acceptable like when when he's trying to negotiate with him and then ig 11's like i can't be captured i must self-destruct and mandalorian's just constantly like don't self-destruct stop it like what do you do like just constantly trying to get him to not like blow himself up in the middle of their it, shootout purely for his own protection because he knows he can't do this alone yeah uh, exactly <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, no, that, that, it was definitely funny, and he, and you realize like his bias against the droids in general is yeah, yeah. kind of kind of driving his frustration, where he's just like, okay, first of all, uh, I was going to do this shit stealthily, and this fucker is going to mess all that up, and now we're in a fucking <laughs> shootout that uh, he's going to try to commit suicide in the middle of and leave me to have to deal with. So like, there's there's definitely <laughs> some good. Uh, you know, like, God damn it. Uh, <clears throat> Star Wars level, level humor there. You almost kind of wish you could kind of like, you know, uh, see his reaction under the mask. No, oh, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's we'll such an expressive on. actor too. Like it, you know, it's almost a shame, but like it, it it's, it's enjoyable, but it is almost a shame because Pedro sure. is such a fucking expressive, like great actor. So, you know, and, um, and that's why like, you know, just like head and shoulder movements, the, the nonverbal body language mm-hmm. is so important when you do shit like that and i think a lot of actors like that challenge of you know how do i convey emotion when you can't see my face right like that that's you know it's gonna be hot I mean, as shit in a helmet in the desert to do this 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 shoot this episode but like let's do it yeah no i mean nick castle from from the you know 1978 halloween i think is a great example of conveying a ton of uh menace and and you know uh, malice without ever having to see a single facial movement or even really much of his eyes like that. He just, he just has such a physical presence and that's such an important thing for, for actors. I think that's right. All A to B was a shape. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so, um, <laughs> so, uh, they finally, you know, fend off and I love the, the move he pulls with the, uh, with, with the hook, the grappling hook where he spins the fucking Gatling gun out of the guy's hand and then uses it to just, you know, light up the entirety of the, the remaining forces. So, you know, it was, it was just a cool, cool, like visual, you know, moment. Um, and I was at that moment, I was like, all right, this is like the coolest fucking character they've, you know, coolest fighting character we've probably seen in a Star Wars movie. You know, as much as I love Obi-Wan and in, in the in the prequels, like in terms of his, you know, the shit he would do in, in the lightsaber fights like this is the on screen, maybe one of the coolest kind of fighters we've seen, you know, um, well, it's within the, the laws of <clears throat> physics, too. Like, even if you believe that, uh, you know, the force exists, the, the prequel stuff was like, oh, you can just jump 30 feet straight up and you can just yeah, fall no, just 100 feet straight down. And, and it's just like, okay, come on. Like that, it, it you know, you, does the force keep your bones from breaking when you fall 100 feet <laughs> and land? Yeah, on exactly. It? Uh, this this but, is shit you'd expect out of like an, an incredible culture of like, you know, warriors like yeah. that the Mandalore are. There, there's a couple of moments from a few scenes back that, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is have a protagonist that is completely infallible and is never in danger of being of being hurt because then you never worry about what's going to happen to them. You have no sense mm-hmm. that they could ever be, uh, you know, killed off. And, and I love that, you know, very early on, uh, they establish him as a badass, but then immediately afterwards... It's like, oh, here, animal fucking almost killed him. Yeah, the blurg <laughs> almost know? fucking ate him. He got saved by by Nick Nolte on on another blurg, and he doesn't even get the. I mean, he's got the fucking electrode thing pointed right at the thing, and he still gets startled enough that he, uh, you know, he doesn't panics. fire it, and yeah. doesn't even get the little flamethrower up there. The flamethrower only goes off because the thing bites down on the button on it, <laughs> and, you, and you realize he even has one of those because it's going off off in like a, a you know. Uh, 90 degree other direction doing no good right uh, yeah. and then also when he's forced to 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 learn to like calm one down and ride it too you're like he really doesn't want to do this because he thinks it's a waste of time um but the simple he's really not good at it at first either he's not good at it he's like can't we just get a fucking get, get a car and go with it you know <laughs> it's, it, you know but the, the you know this this farmer rancher Nick Nolte character is like, well, your people are so amazing. It, you know, you should at least be able to do this. And he's he's kind of like he doesn't he doesn't really believe in his own mythology of what these other people have heard about him. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never exactly. met his kind before, but he, they're supposed to be legendary. So he's like, okay, I guess we have to do this to to get there because otherwise this guy's not going to fucking take me because he's, you know, he he's not a <laughs> he wants he wants the gratification of feeling like. uh I, I became closer to his version or his legendary version of who my people are supposed to be. Uh, and again, you don't see his reaction. You got to just go off his body language and his tone of voice. But yeah, this guy's like so the I, Star Wars equivalent of like Forrest Gump, like in terms of his his intellect and his level. <laughs> right, of, right. So rather than having those backstory flashbacks, uh, they could have just gotten rid of that and then just had this as the characterization of him being reluctant to fulfill what this person's fantasy was of who he was. And that would have been the best characterization I think they could have done with it. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I'm actually, I, I like the flashbacks way more if they don't do almost any more in terms of, you know, if they, if they let that kind of stand on its own and let you extrapolate your own kind of like conclusions about wh- why he is the way he is and what motivates him as like a, this kind of like refugee of the, of the civil war to, to act the way he does, uh, in the scene we're about to talk about. So 
Um, yeah, so they have this incredible shootout. They enter into this this room, uh, which they open by firing the, the 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 Gatling gun at the door. Which you know, if you're trying to find a bounty, is probably not the best thing to do is to shoot through the fucking door indiscriminately. But they somehow managed to not, you know. Uh, I'm sure there was no shrapnel and no uh, ricochets and no yeah, right. Noise. <laughs> inside that room as they were shooting hundreds of rounds of laser bolts through that fucking, you know, four inch thick steel door. Uh, Whoever was inside that room was perfectly safe. Yeah, no, of course. So yeah, a little little preposterous, but whatever, you know, it's star Wars. You'll I'll let it go. Um, But yeah, so they go in the room, they kill the uh, one or two other guys that are in there and they walk over to this uh, pod uh and you know uh he presses the button to open it up and what is inside but you know an adorable baby uh yoda for now is what we'll call it because we don't know what it is uh it is clearly of yoda species we don't know if you know and we'll speculate on that in a minute but i just want to get through the rest of the plot of the of this scene um so you know ig11 immediately pulls out his blaster and says i was you know told to terminate on site uh, and something I don't think a lot of people picked up on that's interesting is that he was, n- I don't think he was sent by Werner Herzog and I don't think he was even sent by the Imperials necessarily because. No, I, I it, think a lot of people picked up on that because they very clearly made it. Uh, they both said, well, I thought I was the only one on this thing. Right. And, and they wouldn't send two different people on the same mission uh, with well, totally different orders like that. Well, no, exactly. So that, you know, well, initially when they said, like, I didn't realize there was, I was, wasn't the only one on it. I thought, oh, okay, well, they sent a couple people to hedge their bets in case one gets killed. But then at the end, when he does say my orders were to terminate on site, you realize like, oh, who the fuck sent him? And is that going to obviously be significant? Um, But so then, you know, because the Mandalorian was trying to take the, take the asset alive. Um, and IG-11 was was ordered to terminate it. So instead, we get a really tense moment where uh, you you think IG-11 has has shot the shot the baby Yoda, but it actually was Mandalorian shooting IG-11 uh, and killing him, presumably. But I, I I was under the impression that he was going to be a major character in the series. So I mean, it's a droid. You can fucking rebuild a droid. Like that doesn't seem like it'd be too. Yeah, much and you can a, reprogram him too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I took that. It was like, okay, neither one of them knew they were going to be there. Uh, they they wouldn't, if they wanted them to, you know, up their odds, they wouldn't give them different instructions. Oh, yeah, uh, that, that was that the, was why it was evident. It was sent by someone else at that moment. Yeah. But even just between where Werner Herzog and like the, what we assume to be the geneticist scientist with the glasses, uh, you know, he wants it alive. Herzog's like, eh, I don't really care. Either way, you know, yeah. <laughs> kill it and bring bring its body back. So, so this gets us, I think, close to where we're, are, you know, going to make predictions or conjecture about who we think the the baby Yoda, fifty uh, year old alien in, in the uh, floating cradle actually is. Yeah, so, so I mean, I think one thing we could agree on undeniably is that this is an adorable fucking creature, especially for a fifty year old. <laughs> <laughs> Got to sell toys, right? Yeah. But they, uh, but they gave it the exaggerated eye. Like, it, it, they did everything they can to make this look like a puppy equivalent of Yoda, you know? Just really... Right. Um, well, if you look, look at Yoda's eyes, they're bluish-green with a white outline, like human eyes, which is kind yeah. of unsettling if you th- if you really look at it, because it's like... The, it looks like human eyes behind a mask, right? 
yeah. which is all right. I mean, whatever. But, um, you know, in, in Star Wars lore, we don't know where Yoda comes from or his race or even what they're called. Right. So for lack of a better word, people are like, oh, it's the Yoda baby or baby yeah. Yoda. Uh, and there was theories so, that it could be. Well, I'll let you take it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get into that. But so, yeah, what you, what you alluded to is that. <clears throat> um. George Lucas has been very specific to every one who's ever written anything into the expanded star Wars universe that the only thing that's off limits is, uh, you know, people have written backstories about every character race planet, every conceivable thing imaginable in the star Wars universe and hundreds and thousands of different pieces of EU material. The only thing that nobody knows is what race Yoda belongs to what planet he's from are there any more other than the one or two that we've seen in expanded universe canon or in regular universe canon or in canon i guess at this point so the only other on-screen uh yoda that we've seen is uh yaddle who is the female yoda that is also on the jedi council with him in the uh, prequels so that's the only other on-screen representation of that race we've seen from any Lucas productions. Apparently in the, um, in one of the animated series, there's a couple more, but again, there's no, nothing is known about them in terms of where they come from, but every member of that race that we've ever seen has been uh, extremely force sensitive, which is significant and probably plays into the significance of this, this Yoda baby. Um mm-hmm. So, so yeah. just, just, just speak to the eyes again real quick. I mean, we don't know how they mature. We know that they live upwards of uh, a thousand years. 900, a thousand years, yeah. This one is 50 years old and still looks like a little cute cuddly baby and has giant poor guys that, you know, are just like anime eyes that fill up the entire, you know, the, the entire iris <laughs> is, you know, uh, brown colored and that's all you see. So it looks super cute. Uh, definitely not the same color as, as Yoda. We don't know how they mature, but the, the, the theory that it was just a clone of Yoda uh, that people have kind of thrown around. I, I have two reasons why I think that's not going to be the case. Um, the first one is that if this geneticist had already cloned Yoda and this clone got away, uh, why would they care? Why wouldn't they just make another clone? Uh, and two, it would be, you know, the eyes don't match at all. Right. Well, but you're, but maybe the eyes, like you, your head grows into the, you know, the eyes are like normal sized and then your head kind of grows the into them. Maybe those bigger. Sure. But also just, it's like, it does nothing to expand the universe. It's just, it's, and it's also like, we've seen clones of characters that, uh, are, are totally inconsequential, right. Or it's a clone from, uh, you know, the original was inconsequential. I, I highly doubt they're going to take the one of the most pivotal characters and then just like hey let's make a copy of that character well like that would that so would you be, say that i say but, that because i doubt they would do it I, but you see you say that but the 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 main villain of the new star wars movie that's coming out is emperor palpatine who we see very clearly get thrown down a well uh go get thrown down a uh a uh a, like port whatever and die in at the end of return of the Jedi and in the expanding universe is brought back because he has left DNA behind to be cloned in case of his death. So, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen in the movie, but I'm, I think that that might, that's a very strong 
possibility. Oh. There's a 40% chance that that's how Palpatine comes Even back. Even that they're doing that is a terrible idea. And the fact that they're doing no, that I'm not at saying the it's same a good idea, time but... makes me think it's even less likely they do it with another major character. Like if well, they're going to do so that, me... like they're, they're definitely not expanding the world that they're trying to build here. Well, all right. So let me go through the possibilities of who this, this asset is. Okay. So number one, uh, unrelated to Yoda, just a member of Yoda's species, which will best option, best option. Prob- hands down. Probably best option. I, I actually like one a little bit better. That's not clone. Um, but so, you know, member of Yoda species, give us some insight into uh, w- what maybe the name of their species is, what planet they come from, why they all seem to be force sensitive. Um, you know, that very interesting possibilities there. Uh, we'll probably, you know, see its family or see something about its home world. So that's a really interesting possibility. Um, and, 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 Probably Occam's razor would be the easiest answer. Um, number two is that it's a clone. Now, the uh, kind of case for this, and I'm not saying case for why I think it should be, but case for why it might be is number one, the the <clears throat> the guy who the glasses guy who we see in the room with Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog is wearing a uniform with this little IG logo on his on his shoulder. Uh, which is actually the identical to the uh, a, a, a piece of insignia that we see on Camino uh, cloning uh, sure. uniforms or whatever. So, which they, is why I think that it's the you know more than likely they want to get their hands on it for those reasons. But it's not maybe been done maybe yet. exactly that might be true. That so that might be true. Um, it might be that they that they lost this you know DNA in some kind of a. It, maybe this is like the last, who knows? I mean, it, but in terms of also the case for it being a clone, I think it, it the only other thing I would point to is that maybe it was cloned. Um, you know, uh, who knows? I mean, maybe they, the, the empire wanted to have a Yoda clone to kind of, you know, be a counterbalance to Yoda. Cause he was so difficult to defeat. Uh, who knows? But so, you know, not not a great option, but a possibility given the fact that the, this guy I was looking for it was a cloner, and you know that it seems like an interesting possibility. Now, the um, third possibility, which I kind of like, um, is that it's neither clone nor random Yoda creature, but is actually the offspring of Yoda and Yaddle, who are the only two male and female uh, members of Yoda's species, and actually. The reason I like this beyond the fact that just it's an interesting idea, the progeny of Yoda, but also uh, the timing actually matches up because about 50 years ago to the current timeline, Star Wars uh, was around the time of the Clone Wars where Yoda was on the Jedi Council with Yaddle. Uh, They were around. But and the other reason I like this because it makes Yoda into a giant hypocrite, like the whole thing where he was constantly like, you know, Anakin, you can't have. You know, Jedi must must not enter into romantic relationships and must not, you know, all this shit. It would have been super interesting as a character because Yoda, as much as he's a wise character, is a very flawed character. You know, he makes that decision early on to not tell Luke about his father. And I think that that led to a lot of, you know, unforeseen circumstances. He's made a lot of errors in judgment, you know, not sniffing Palpatine out earlier. So I don't think it would be out of character for him to be, you know, hypocritical about this tenet of 
the Jedi Order, you know, I actually think it tracks a lot with his with his personality throughout the th- throughout the series. So I think I'll that would be an interesting option one. also. Yeah, especially cuz you know when you get the 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 tree lightning scene in the last Jedi, he's pretty much just like, "Eh, rules are made to be broken." <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> so that, exactly. He's very <laughs> flippant about it and just kind of like they're just books. Move on, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Although later so, we do see those books on Rage on the Millennium Falcon, but yeah, yeah. But he was trying to teach Luke a lesson, and you know he didn't really save them himself. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. So one of the one of the things that I, I mean, I, I hate that like cloning is just kind of like the go to for everything. Like, oh, how can we, you know, whatever. It's a big part of you know, obviously Westworld. A uh, big part of. Uh, Watchmen, big part of, of Star Wars and has been for a while. But we know that, you know, likely as Palpatine clone is going to be a thing. Uh, a lot of people are theorizing. I'm I'm theorizing that uh, the the uh, dark side Ray character is a clone. Uh, you know, the whole like, well, who are Ray's parents? and Or a flashback, like a, a Kylo potential no flashback. One. Yeah, uh, but when she goes down in Last Jedi to the to the cave under the the rocky volcanic shoreline, she goes to see who her parents were, and it's just a reflection of herself. And then there's that like you know sort of conga line, you know, doing the snap. <laughs> and there's thousands yeah. of her. Very much indicates that she is a clone. It's why she doesn't really have any parents. It's why mm. there's a, a a dark side clone of her, right? And that you know Palpatine's a clone. So I think that they, they like they're it's interesting. If yeah. that's true, they're doing this to death. And just to, you know, like to, to have, oh, it's a clone of Yoda. It's like, come on. Like, that's just the easiest fucking thing to do. And doesn't tell us any more about the species or, or the mythology or world building or anything. And just to have it be, again, this obsession with who are your parents? Who is the secret parent or the kid of the, you know, like, I, that, like, that's just overdone and boring. I don't care about that. Yeah. I don't care if Yoda had a kid or not. Like, if they did, that's fine. But like, like why can't it just be a... a third member of this species it's totally mysterious and maybe we learn a little bit more maybe we don't maybe it's still mysterious but it's still it, it's better than just doing the same fucking thing we always do the whole point of making a tv show on a star wars instead of a movie is that there's more room to take risks right and if yeah. you're not going to take advantage of that what the fuck is the point yeah no i, I agree um so the interesting thing about clones is it, it's so funny how important of a role they play in Star Wars because it really, I doubt that Lucas had much of this in mind when he wrote it. It really is all because of one throwaway line in, in A New Hope where um, Obi-Wan mentions fighting alongside Anakin in the Clone Wars. And because of that, they've had to incorporate this incredible, incredibly convoluted uh, backstory about this clone army. Um, you know, and But it actually ended up turning into a really kind of uh apt parable for for empire uh and 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 you know uh imperialist regimes because you know at in uh the clone wars and in a lot of the later expanding universe stuff where that you know where they further get into the cloning stuff that the empire uh undertook it's super clear that like they have you know they the empire does not value individuality it does not value opinions of others it just wants uh, endless amounts of bodies to throw at its objective, you know, which is complete domination and subjugation of all living species. So it's it's a really, I, I thought it was just an apt metaphor that the Empire is using these clones 
when the, whereas the rebels are just this rab, ragtag group of refugees. Like, I, I just think it turned into a happy accident that it, you know, that it worked out as well as it did. And maybe, and maybe Lucas had all that in his head when he wrote, you know, that line, but who knows? But um, I, I actually like that. That's an, an aspect of the star Wars kind of canon, um, you know, and it, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting notion. Like if, if we had that technology in, in modern society, that's exactly what the fucking U S would use it for is they would just clone endless troops and then they would never have to, answer for any of the you know wars that they were starting because it'd be like well what do you care you're we're not sending your kids to go die like you know you know we're we're, we're just we're just sending these clones like that nobody knows them they, they could be you know it, it, they're expendable so like uh you know like it's the human equivalent of drones in, in of course the story yeah. is you know say with um uh you know with uh Oh shit! I'm gonna feel bad now. <laughs> I've had enough beers that I can't remember all the names of the things. But like, you know, even when they say, "Oh, well, this this one stormtrooper uh, isn't bad and has a soul and, and he feels bad," yeah, Finn. Um, we don't apply the same uh, empathy to all the rest of the stormtroopers who we know were you know snatched from their mother's arms under <laughs> circumstances. Yeah. So there's not a there's not like a real yeah. systemic look at you know, like, shouldn't we feel bad every time we blow up a Death Star and kill millions of them if they were conscripted against their will? Uh, well, so so if you if you're a lucky stormtrooper who rebels, then you get empathy, <clears throat> but not all the rest of them that haven't reached that limit. No, absolutely. Um, and I, and it's an interesting distinction too, because at one point uh, they do have to switch over from using the clones because the clones at least in the expanded universe. And I don't know if they've ever fully gotten into this in the canon of why they stopped using clones, but clones like essentially like can't handle because they're aged up rapidly. So quickly they have such a, they have a really short lifespan, uh, you know, like seven to 10 years because they're aged up to adulthood, 30 years old in like a, a year's time. So are it's they a very too? like the droids? They're subservient, but they're not dumb. They all, I think they all have a basic, you know, almost Django Fett level intellect. So what's um, up with the, the old clones, the old retired veteran clones in uh, Star Wars Rebels then? How do they avoid dying early? I I assume that they were probably young clones like several years prior, not long prior. Because they, they age rap- very rapidly is what is what I'm un- to understand. So, so like I, they were I, maybe did I find a plot hole actually or no? <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't it doesn't really seen, matter. I don't give a shit. But whatever. I just I, I remember seen rebels, but like with uh, yeah, they probably were like like you know fighting aged clones as of five to six years prior. They age, but they age very rapidly. Basically, you know. So that's I think that's what it is. Gotcha. Um, and then they'll die. Little, little blade so. runner esque, but. Uh, and then so but that's why i think the empire eventually either maybe ran out of the resources to clone people and then just started conscripting children and and or young you know like teens and you know young people from all these planets that they were conquering um so i think it is i think a much more morally gray area when you when you start to look at the pre uh clone wars or the post clone wars uh empire in terms of like yeah should we feel bad for these guys um so my my hopes with this series is and is going to be that they keep exploring those gray areas, right? Um, Cause they've got, they've got way more room to do that kind of stuff. Uh, and we know, you know, empire is evil. Rebels are good. But in between is the, is the gray area, the baseline of society. 
that we see in this world. Um, and, and they really, if they really want to do something that's going to transcend everything they've done before with the movies mm-hmm. where it's like the stakes are just on spectacle, a little bit of political commentary, but just like lights and explosions and lasers and shit. If they really want to tell a story with depth to it, that's where they got to focus on, right? Like the sort of the, the edge between the gritty Western and then the, you know, Jedi mythology and the, the people that exist only in one realm or another or in both and how they sort of react to each other uh, or their lack of reaction, their indifference. You know, I would love to see a story where this, this hero takes baby Yoda right back to Werner Herzog and says, here it is alive. I want the full amount instead of the half amount that I would have gotten if I brought it back dead. You know, and you're like, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. I thought you were going to save baby Yoda. <laughs> and he just like leaves it and you go, oh shit. And he doesn't like learn that that was a bad thing till like several episodes later. And we're all left like wondering what the fuck is happening to baby Yoda. And like, we're all fucking scared. Like I would love if yeah. they did that to us in the show rather than just always immediately the hero. What's that? That would be, that would certainly be a challenging, you know, character moment. That'd be an interesting, that would be day. taking a risk. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They have a, an opportunity to take a risk with a character. It's that's that have some real moral ambiguity instead of just, Oh, he shot a guy. And then five minutes later, he's a baby rescuer and is more like totally lawful. Good. Now, like, I don't want to see that they've done, they've had 30 years to do that. You know, that, that, that arc. Right. And I want to see this be something, uh, especially if they're going to, you know, hire a lot of the people, same people as rogue one, do something where you really like, you don't like the characters necessarily, but you're in it for the, the risks that they're going to take with the, with what the story is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm interested in seeing them take some risks with this uh, for sure. So yeah, uh, and and but I I, I think he's probably going to end up. You know, I think this is going to mostly be a story of him trying to hide this baby from the Empire. Uh, from what they've shown, at least he does like you know kind of do the finger wag at the <laughs> at the baby at the end. So it seems like he's he's definitely taken a liking to this uh, to this Yoda. So I guess we'll see what happens though. Hey, he um, wants his money. You know, he he wants to like get back into whatever. Uh, you know, when he goes to the the, the foundry. And she says yeah. something to him to the effect of like something about his signet or something like that. Is your signet revealed yet? Which is interesting. Signet. I'm, I'm, signet. There you go. Uh, which is some kind of like honor he's personally lost. He's trying to get back to. And we don't know if like the armor is a, a requirement or representation or what exactly. But like he's got he's got a, a goal that is, you know, more than just trying to get fuel for his ship or just catch bad guys and make money. He's got a personal stake in all this. Right. So, yeah. You know, well, I actually a conflict there for him. From what I took, it's like a medal of honor sort of situation. I don't. It didn't sound like to me that he lost. It sounds like to me that he's still relatively a new bounty hunter, and he has not yet like achieved really? that rank. You know, because it, it was Peter like has it been like too, isn't he? He's like he's in like a middle age. So how could he be? Yeah, a but if we never. If we never really see him, well, I don't know. I mean, I. But w- when she said, "Like, has it been revealed?" and he says, "Not yet," to me, that meant like he's he hasn't earned that that signet that emblem hmm. yet. I don't know. Well, I guess it'll be. Well, maybe but it just this, takes twenty years to get. Who knows? Maybe it's like Jedi Master. It's like the rank of Jedi Master. You know, <laughs> it's like a, it's a, it's a, it honorary that it, it's very hard for you to for you to. He get. hasn't so, proven his worth with the with the wrist flamethrower yet to uh, earn that one. Yeah. 
but yeah, I'm uh, I'm very interested to see where this goes. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll be covering it, you know, for the first season at least. I, it, there's not too many episodes, so uh, how many total? I think it's eight, nine. It's the oh, same yeah, as Watchmen. Okay. Very, you know, pretty. Uh, yeah, that's pretty nine. Then, yeah. Well, I, I definitely hope they uh, lengthen the episodes a little bit and uh, clean up a little bit of the CGI. And it, you notice with the little little compound how. You know, like like the inner walls of that thing were real, and the outer walls were CGI. But it was very like plopped down in the middle of that little valley. There wasn't like little bits of of like junk strewn about beyond the the last outside wall, which you kind of would expect if it was just like an outpost somewhere. Like there'd just be like space junk strewn around the way you you know see if it was a real environment i was kind of disappointed that it did they didn't have add like just a, a few elements of that to make it look more lived in yeah. uh so you know just tiny quibble but overall uh i i'm excited to kind of see where it goes definitely a uh, great cliffhanger with the end of it lots of questions so if they can keep that up i'll definitely keep watching it and we'll obviously keep wanting to review it yeah, and the next episode comes out Friday, uh, probably the day you'll be hearing this podcast if you're listening on release day. So we'll have a review of that uh, up in the uh, begin at the beginning of next week, um, Monday or Tuesday, depending. And uh, yeah, so if you enjoyed this, uh, we do our Watchmen reviews. Uh, that's on the same feed as this. It's called What's Left of the Watchmen. Um, we, uh, do our main political podcast where we talk about the news, uh, of the week from our socialist perspective. Uh, we do occasional movie reviews. We've done a uh, review of the last Jedi. So obviously if you like our coverage of this, you might want to go back and check that out. Cause we really, d- uh, dove deep into the last Jedi and what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, we and are, if you did uh, like that, also yeah. check out our Game of Thrones season eight review. Uh, to oh yeah, find of out course. All the things that were amazing about that season that nobody seemed to notice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I imagine if you like Star Wars, you probably like Game of Thrones. So, you know, um, check that out. Uh, and that's Left of the Throne. That's in the same feed. If you you know go back and look for it, you got to um, scroll down a bit because we do a lot of content, but it, it's down there. Yeah, so uh, and of course you can find all that at uh, soundcloud.com slash move left. We are on Apple Podcasts. You search for Move Left Idiots. You can rate, review, and subscribe over there. Uh, we are on Facebook at Move Left Idiots, uh, facebook.com slash move left idiots. Uh, we have a Patreon if you want to support the show at patreon.com slash move left. We have merch available for the podcast at tinyurl.com slash move left merch. Uh, I am on Twitter at move underscore left. And I'm on Twitter at Smut Collector with an E-R, not an O-R. Yeah, we'll see you next time. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah Where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda S-O-D-A soda I saw the little wren sitting there on a log him his name and in a raspy voice he said Yoda Y-O-D-A Yoda
if you start to go astray, let the force be your guide, oh my Yoda. Yo, 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 Yoda. I know Darth Vader's really got you annoyed, but remember if you kill 